If we read chapter 16, he, he said some help in writing it. There's been a guy in chapter 16 who's actually sort of scribed most of this letter from Paul, although the thoughts are all Paul's. We recognise right from the start of the chapter that Paul had never been in Rome, but he recognised that there was a flourishing church starting in Rome. And as usual with flourishing churches, there's the usual problems that accompany that. And Paul was addressing these problems. And one of the things that I'm always amazed at is the way that God does things. Because, you know, Paul, all this stuff that's in Romans, as I've said before, was stuff that Paul had taught to the churches in Ephesus and the church in Corinth, the church in in Laodicea, and all of these other churches that were around the area where Paul was ministering. But he'd never actually put them down on a piece of paper. And now here, because he's never been to Rome, and he's unsure at this point in time, much as he would love to go to Rome, he's unsure at this time whether he'll actually get there. So he puts all his thoughts, all the teachings, he compresses them into this letter. And it's been a blessing to us because Romans is considered one of the big doctrinal books in the Christian faith. If you you lived in nothing else than Romans, you would get a good flavour as to what a Christian should be and what a Christian should not be. So we've got Paul here coming to the end of this letter. He's written it in a number of sections, and this is the kind of last section where he's dealing with really maturity in, in the Christian faith and how people should be mature in the faith and the things that we should be setting aside, these these doubtful things, these disputable things, you know, the, the things that seem to cause all the problems in churches and yet have got nothing to do with doctrinal issues and have got nothing to do with ministry philosophy at all. It just people's sort of pet if you want to call it pet theologies and they get upset when people stand in their theological toes. <clears throat> so this Paul's waiting in Corinth and he's waiting there with a number of people. It would be it would be unrealistic to think that Paul was on his own. There would be a group of them. And they're waiting for a ship to take them back to, to Judea. And but you know, I've always got this picture when people Early historians like Herodotus and, and Flavius uh, Josephus uh, described Paul. He, he was a short guy uh, and, and he was kind of bow-legged and he had quite a serious eye problem and he was baldy and uh, he had an archetypal Jewish nose that kind of came like four inches out his face and you know, he wasn't exactly the kind of the kind of Benny Hinn of the first century. You know, he was he was one of these guys and inconspicuous. He was probably born around the same time that Jesus was born. So sitting here writing this letter in Corinth, we find Paul probably about 57 or 58 years old. We we know that this letter was written about 25 years after Christ was crucified and rose for the dead. And so, having gone on to describe Christian maturity in chapter 14, he still pushes that point that little bit further he says if you're mature in the faith you know that the things that that people are weak in you've not to despise them because if people have got certain views on certain things and he talked about people who wouldn't eat meat because they thought it might have been sacrificed to idols but they only ate vegetables but they thought that because they did that that they were strong in their faith and Paul says no you're weak in your faith because God has declared all things clean. But 
If you feel in your conscience you can't do that, then by all means, don't do it. And if as a, a brother or a sister in Christ, you know a brother or sister who only eats vegetables, there's no point in inviting them for dinner and putting down a steak pie to them. You know, it's, a, it's just... You don't want to stumble your brother or sister either. So don't use your freedom in Christ to be a stumbling block to other people. So we start here at Romans 15, (coughs) excuse me, verse 1. He says, bearing all that in mind from chapter 14, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good and to build them up. The first thing you've got to consider here is again this word neighbours. It's not just brothers and sisters in Christ. It's neighbours. It's the idea that Jesus put forward when he was when he was talking to the Pharisees and the Pharisees asked him, you know, um, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbour as yourself. And the Pharisees replied to Jesus and said, Well, who is my neighbour? Uh, and Jesus, of course, started into that famous passage about the, 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 the Good Samaritan. A man was on his way from Jericho to Jerusalem. And really, he was bringing to the surface here that your neighbours are not just the people that you love and the people that love you. Your neighbours are everybody that you come in contact with. Whether they are people who love you or hate you, you have to be that mature Christian because that's the way your light's going to shine. If you're going to be partial towards people, then the world's partial towards people. Jesus said it himself. If, if you love only those that love you, even, even the sinners and the tax collectors love people that love them, it's easy to love people that love you. But the neighbours, those people in the world there that you come in contact with on a daily basis... Are you prepared to be what Paul is talking about in this section, that living sacrifice, even to those who hate you? Because that's what Jesus was for us. He was a living sacrifice, gave himself up while we were still God-haters, while we still despised him. And yet, we as Christians at times, we tend to pick and choose who we love and who our neighbours are. And Paul was getting this point across here. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good and to build them up. If you consider yourself strong and free in Christ, then don't use it to dominate people. Don't use it to to come across as being some self-righteous, highly moral person. We go way back to the beginning of the book of Romans to find that that Paul says, you know, you can't stand in judgment on one another. You can't say that my salvation is greater than your salvation or my salvation is more secure than yours because I'm a much more moral person than you are. There's only one way. It doesn't matter whether you're the vilest offender, whether you're the most moral man in the world, or whether you're the greatest Jew or Hebrew, Paul says, there's only one way a man can be saved, and that's through the blood of Jesus. There is no other way. So if you're strong and free in Christ, if you don't feel yourself to be be pulled in by all these sort of what we would call doubtful things or disputable things, and, and... then don't use it to dominate people, but to serve your brother in love. Use your freedom wisely to serve your brother in love. What do I mean by dominating people? 
I've met Christians in my life who, when you talk to them about, and, and these are the, the doubtful issues, the, the disputable things that are not doctrinal, when we talk about the things in the west of Scotland, the smoking and the drinking, just let's take those two for, for because they are a big issue in the west of Scotland, there's no question about it, especially alcohol at this point in time. When I've spoken to people about it, and, and that is, is, is an area that in some measure I'm weak in because I don't like to see people smoking and I don't like to see people drinking because in my own life I've seen the harm that it can do. I can see the damage that it can do. And I would much rather pray for a brother and sister to be released from it and to manage without it. But there again, I'm not going to stumble a brother over it either. And I hope that they wouldn't stumble me. But to dominate people, when I've said this to people in my Christian walk, they've started to fire one scripture after another at me. It's like a machine gun of scriptures. And it just, can I, you think, what is all this about? I, I just want to see people in the best place for them. I want to see people being loved and being, being built up. If I'm strong in the faith, if, I'm, if, if I can see problems that, that people might come across in their future life then surely I can put that forward without dominating them by battering them to death with scripture and many people walk away from churches and walk away from Christ because there's so much teaching going about today that puts them in a bigger bondage than they were in before they were saved when people get saved we should be set free that's what Christ said it was for freedom that Christ has set you free so that now you've got the choice to do what you want to do. But hopefully, because you're saved, you'll do what you, Jesus wants you to do. Such as his love for you and your love for him. That's the way we should be doing. And this is in relation to these doubtful and disputable things. <clears throat> I suppose when you get to my age, over the, over the last few years I've seen three or four people dying of alcohol and smoking related illnesses and it's not a pretty sight. And I would never recommend it to anybody. But again, the choice is yours. I can't make the choices for you. I wish I could. I wish I could take you outside and beat it out of you at times. But I can't make that choice for you. You've got to make that choice for yourself. How much do you love the Lord? How much do you want to follow Him? I honestly believe that when we, when we march into heaven's gates, there will be people stubbing out their cigarettes in the steps and leaving down their cans of lager. I don't believe that these things will keep you from salvation. But what do you want to do in this life? Do you want to travel first class? Do you want to live that spirit-filled, that spirit-guided life? Or do you want to rely on the world to give you the peace and the tranquility that you crave from these other things? And please, I'm not picking on these things. If you drink alcohol or smoke cigarettes, that's your choice. For me, I've seen so many people, even my own father, die for these illnesses that I would never, ever recommend them to anybody. So we have to bear with each other. He says here, each of us 
should bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves and that's exactly what I'm trying to talk about here and to bear with doesn't mean to say that I've got to be the martyr that's not what these words mean doesn't mean to say that I've got to sit and say oh what a congregation I've got drinkers and smokers and you know the words there if you translate them properly out of the Greek it means to bear up to build them up to encourage them in it to build up your brother to the point where you're making the sacrifice where you are being selfless in what you do this means in some measure that selfishness has to go if the things that we do these disputable things if they're a stumbling block to brothers and sisters in Christ then they should go if they're a stumbling block in your relationship with Christ then they should go we have to become that Christ centred person walking in the spirit filled with the spirit be, be being filled as Paul talks about on a daily basis to resist the temptations of the world and to be spirit filled that spirit filled walk that is what Christianity is about that is where the, 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 the strength the freedom and the opportunity to serve Christ comes from and we've not to please ourselves says Paul in these first few verses here that is the one thing that is so difficult because we've spent so many years as a non-Christian pleasing ourselves I mean we remember well some of us do back to the 1980s the, the era of Margaret Thatcher and it was all a me 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 culture it was a you know, you're number one, you look after yourself and if everybody else can't look after themselves then hard lines. But we have to get our eyes off ourselves. And you know, when you start to be selfless in the things that you do, when you start to, to lay aside your own personal pleasures and desires to suit a brother or a sister in Christ, not only does it build up and encourage them, but it builds you up in the knowledge and the fullness of Christ why? because you're doing exactly what Jesus would do in the same situation you're laying aside yourself and putting others before you and this always goes against the world you'll find when you do that that you'll be that liberated Christian who stands radiant in Christ and I mean it I've seen Christians in this in, in my life who just stick out because they're so determined to follow the Lord I'm not saying they're perfect by all means we'll never be perfect till we step over that threshold into that new, that new kingdom but I've seen Christians who just shine the light of Jesus because they're prepared to put themselves on the back burner and prepared to put their brothers and sisters needs and wants first and not to bring that condemnation not to be the judge upon them about the things that they do but to take it to the Lord in prayer in Philippians 2 verse 3 and 4 Paul says this and it sort of sums it up really that he's saying the same thing again he says do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather in humility value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of the others you know there's almost a kind of a catch 22 situation in there 
If you're not looking after your own interests, but looking after the interests of others, and we're all doing the same thing, then somebody's looking after your interests as well. It's not something, it's not sacrificial in the sense that you're losing something out of it. You're gaining from it. Because as you lay out to other people, other people are laying out to you. And that just doesn't apply, as I say, to brothers and sisters in Christ, although that's the beginning of it. This is the training ground. That applies to all your neighbours, if I can say that. We should be able to treat anybody in the same way. Nobody will hate you if you do good to them. It's very difficult to hate somebody that constantly does you good. It's the same, and I think I've said this to you before, it's the same in a marriage. It's murder. I mean, when I lose the head and get angry with Doreen and she doesn't, I get really miffed with it, you know. I think, get angry, will you? Come on, let's have a row. Come on. And she says, what are you going on about? What are you getting so upset about? And I'm upset about <clears throat> I'm not upset. <laughs> but then, you know, it's hard to stay angry when somebody else, when, when, when the Bible kicks into action and the verse comes to you that says, a quiet word turns back anger. You know? Don't let the sun set in your anger. In other words, <clears throat> you know, Paul knew and Jesus knew that we would get angry. But don't let the sun set in your anger. What does that mean? Well, always make sure that you've made it up before you get to bed. Because I'll tell you, if you don't, you'll never sleep. It'll be rumbling around in your head. If she said that, I'll just tell her this. And, and, and you laugh because it's the truth. I mean, it is. And then you get up in the morning and, you, and you're even more bitter and twisted than you were when you went to bed. Sort it out. The Bible exhorts us to sort it out before you go to bed and get a decent sleep out of it. Make sure that, that you've sorted it out before you go to bed. Don't just please yourself. Be pleasing to others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Now, in all that I've said here, this doesn't mean that the church should be ruled by weak things and weak people. But it does mean that the strong Christians, the people who are strong in their faith, should be leading the way for the people who have these irrational, sort of doubtful issues in their life. The things that sensibly you would say, well I don't want to touch that. And yet people still do it. Then we, we who are strong Christians, we who are even strong Christians and strong neighbours, should be saying to people, do you really think that's good for you? Should you really be doing that? We should be the people who shine the light, in, not only in our fellowships, but in our communities. And it says here at verse 3 in chapter 15, For even Christ did not please himself, as it is written, The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the, <coughs> excuse me, through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So it says here, as it is written, The punishment that Jesus took for us was in some measure written before the foundation of the world. God had it in plan. He knew the beginning from the end. And yet, it's hard to understand that that was there at all time. And this is the same word 
that Paul was preaching to the Romans at this point in time. This was the same advice. Nothing changes. That's the wonderful thing about the Bible. Nothing changes. It's, a, it's an absolute. It's a total in the Word of God. The Word of God is an absolute. In this world of total relativism, where whatever floats your boat, you know, or, or as they did in the book of Judges, everybody did what they thought was right in their own eyes. In that type of environment that we're in at the moment, this is the rock on which we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Don't look to the world for your answers, guys. Look to the Lord. It's there. It's written there to teach us that we should not be looking to the world for our answers. The same word here. Isn't it wonderful that this was written 25 years after Christ was crucified and rose for the dead? And here I, Jim Tatton, am teaching you the same thing that Paul taught the Romans. Why? Because it never changes. The word of God stands forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will stand forever. That's what the Lord says. In Psalm 69 and verse 7, he says, For I will endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. And this is in response to the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. I endure scorn for your sake. This is prophetic out the Psalms in respect to Jesus Christ. That on that cross he endured the scorn for our sake. And our shame covers his face. And this applies to us. And we have to learn from it. If Christ stood for us, should we not want to stand for him? Christ stood for us in a way that will never ever... I'll never get to the bottom of it. I just don't understand it. I just don't understand how God could come here as a man... And die on a cross and rise again for the dead for me. For no other reason than that he loved me. He wasn't looking to make capital out of me. He wasn't looking for my, for my social connections or my networking skills. All he was, he loved me. And he died for me. He wanted to see me coming into that place where he is in heaven. And he would stand for me. The love that we have for Jesus, when we understand these things, when we get to the bottom, says Paul, of this, this absolute mystery that is Christ, it puts us in a place where, as we spoke about in chapter 14 and 15, it puts us in a place where we want to serve Jesus. We want to walk the way he walks. I mean, I look at all these... Uh, all these idols that people have got, pop idols and footballing idols and all the rest of it. And uh, I was going to bite Dory the other night because I quite like Luis Suarez, but <clears throat> <laughs> she wouldn't let me. But seriously, you look at all these people. I mean, you look at, I look at Michael Jackson. What was their great ability, the fans of Michael Jackson? What did they want to do? They wanted to look like him. He had all these people with these fancy hairdos and the hats and the, the, the jackets and all the rest of it and the, the uniforms because they all wanted to look like Michael Jackson. And just as an aside, I actually think that's what will happen in the end times when this Antichrist arises. I think everybody will want to look like him because that will be their hero. 
when this world as you see it at the present time it's gone I mean it's just chaos everywhere you look there's hardly a safe place in the world you can go now everybody will be crying out for peace and this false messiah will arise and promise them peace and this guy's going to have such a capability such a, a, a devil evil inspired capability that he'll even be able to make peace between the Jews and the Arabs which everybody so far has failed to do and when they talk about this Antichrist being you know, raised for the dead literally being shot and wounded in his arm and all the rest of it I believe that people will actually maim themselves so that they can look like this guy that will be the mark of the beast it will be irrevocable once you've actually maimed your arm and, 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 and put the scars in your head you can't get them off ok we can talk about uh, little electronic chips as being the mark of the beast but you can always dig them out I mean, you can always get rid of them but once you've actually maimed yourself you show yourself to be who you follow I mean when you look at Michael Jackson's supporters when you look at Justin Bieber's supporters they've all got his hair cut and they've all got his clothes and they all want to look like him it's just a human trait it seems to be like that and yet when we Christians become Christians the last thing we want to be when we go out amongst people is be like Christ we seem to shy away from it the devil seems to be able to push us back don't let him push you back you be the people you stand up you be liberated in Christ I stand free in Christ what can a man do to me all I can do is kill my body and you know if I'm dead if I'm absent for the body I'm present with Christ and that is what we have to hang on to because it was for freedom that Christ has set you free Paul didn't say that to the Galatians to no purpose it was for freedom you can do what you like now you're free for the law but the law of love says if you love Jesus you'll, you'll obey his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome he's not asking you to do something that, that you can't do all he's asking you to do is to allow the spirit to work through you and then he says at verse 5 may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ this almost sounds like a prayer or a benediction doesn't it you know you can see almost a minister with his dog calling me the God of gives you endurance and all the rest it's standing up there what we take from that is that Jesus showed no partiality to anyone it didn't matter who you were Christ died on the cross for you it's not a case that well I'm going to die for this lot because they're kind of good guys and moral guys but I'm not dying for them because they're paedophiles and child molesters Christ died for all he didn't die for you because you were born in the UK he died for you whether you were born in Iraq or whether you're now a Muslim or whatever you are Christ died for you all and you know the thing where we're getting to today and, and, and with all these terrorist organisations it's very hard it's very difficult to pray for a situation where you want to say Lord save all these people bring them all to salvation all these people who are blowing each other up on a regular basis and they're doing it in the name of their religion we don't want to be pulled into that place live for each other 
when you live for each other even in this fellowship if we really live for each other which I believe that we're getting there but this fellowship will bloom and blossom and be something that I hope that Kerluk has never seen for a long time it's seen Christ inhabiting the praises of his people that were out there in the community being neighbours to the people that are out there and not just being some self-absorbed naval watching group of Christians that were out there doing the things that Christ would have us do we have to stick together that's why we, we, fellowship is so important to us that's why reading the word is so important to us that's why prayer is so important to us these are the three things I go back to this again my three legged stool you've got to stand a three legged stool will never wobble it doesn't matter whether one leg's shorter than the other it'll never wobble and I say it again but lose one of the legs and it's a very difficult job sitting in a three legged stool and by the time you've lost two legs you're basically on the bones of your backside. It's almost impossible. And I think it was, I think it was Corey Ten Boom who said that when we lose fellowship, the devil smiles. When we stop reading the word, the devil laughs. And when we stop praying, the devil dances for joy. And that's the three things that are so crucial to the Christian. And they're not hard. Jesus said it, you know, I've just said that. My burden is light. I'm not asking you to do the impossible. I'm just asking you to be in fellowship, to love each other. I'm just asking you to do, to read your word, to, to pray, to have that communication with me. It's not difficult. But you have to make the choice. Unfortunately, Christianity is a choice. God has given you a free will. It would be, it would be quite wonderful, I think, sometimes when life gets difficult, that you had just a Christian chip. And <coughs> hi, hallelujah. And you were completely under the control of Christ. And in some measure, our lives are controlled by Christ, but only to the degree that we allow. Never pushes his way in. And it talks here in that scripture there, the God that gives you endurance, gives you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ had, so that with one mind and one voice. One mind and one voice, that means that whatever we say is what we what we're thinking. And that's not always the case. We have to prayerfully approach how our mind and our mouth work together so that we're not hypocritical in what we say and do it's easy to tell people what they want to hear it's sometimes not so easy to tell them what they need to hear it can be a difficult thing <coughs> and I've <coughs> excuse me I've found that over the years as a pastor and, and it really has torn the heart out of me that I've had to tell the truth to people and they've walked away because they've taken the half with me because I had to tell them the truth I had to tell them things that they had to hear but not necessarily the things they wanted to hear you try and do it as graciously as you can but at the end of the day I mean Paul's saying the same thing here in the book of Romans 
he'll go on to explain. He says, you know, I've, I've, I've done some things, I've said some things that are pretty heavy duty, but you have to take them on board. Prayer should be our weapon against hypocrisy, so that what is in our mind is what we speak. We don't want to be a people, and there are too many people, unfortunately, in the churches today, that all they want to do is get their ears tickled. They just want to hear the lovey-dovey smarmy bits. They don't want to hear the sacrificial bits. They don't want to hear that the Christian life can be tough. They don't want to hear that you've got to really cling into God. You've got to sometimes just sit in a quiet room and bawl your eyes out because that's the way you feel. It's not all sunshine and roses. But it will be one day. And that's the hope of glory. In the chapter 7, at verse 7, sorry, it says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs, that's like Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, might be confirmed, and moreover that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Christ did not accept you because you were perfect. In fact, he accepted you for the very opposite of it. And I've said this already. You know, he didn't. He didn't pick you because he thought, well, I can gain something out of this. But you know, in the sweetest way possible, even although the death was horrific, in the sweetest way possible, he forgave your sin and drew you to his heart. He just took you and he paid the full price. Come with me. The price is paid. Your sins are forgiven. Rise with me to this new life. And Paul makes the point to the Jews in Rome here that Jesus, although he came to them first, but it was not just for them, but for the Gentiles also. And he says at the end of verse 7, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name. That's Psalm 18, verse 49. And again in Deuteronomy 32, it says, Rejoice you Gentiles with his people, in other words, with the Jews. And in verse 11, and again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. Psalm 117. And Isaiah, it says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, and him the Gentiles will hope. Isaiah 11 and, and chapter 52 as well. And what we have to remember here is, this was Paul's, this was Paul's teaching ground here. He, he taught out of the Old Testament he didn't have a New Testament. Paul wrote it. I mean, the bulk of it, two-thirds of it was written by Paul. So he's, this is not some sort of difficult thing for Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was one of these guys, and I think I've told you before, when, when a young boy was a, was a Pharisee, by the time he was five, six-year-old, he could probably recite Genesis and Exodus without looking. And by the time he was 15 or had just passed his bar mitzvah, the first five books of the Bible, a, a rabbi, a teacher could come to him and say, Deuteronomy 5 verse 31, and he would just spout it. Just like that. Such was his knowledge, his scripture. So for Paul, Paul wouldn't be sitting here saying, well, what can I tell the Romans here? What can I tell the church at Rome? Um, where's that verse that says this and you're going through your concordance and that? Paul just rattles them off 
He just knows them. He just knows what it is to be in the Word of God and for the Word of God just to be written in his heart. It's just there and that's the way that's, that's what we should plan on doing. I mean, I could quote you scriptures endlessly, but I can never remember where they are. I'm just getting too old for it. I mean, it's just, I, I know the scripture. I know what it says, but ask me where it is and, and I might be able to tell you some of them. Paul preached out of the Old Testament. And we should remember that the Old Testament is part of our inheritance, our heritage. Although the word was given to the Jews, it's now been given to us in a whole. The Old Testament and the New Testament. Don't ignore the the Old Testament. Don't discard it as many have done. There are many churches today, I hate to say it, they just stick to the New Testament. They never go back into the Old Testament. They never look for the root they never look for that, that prophecy that says this or that or the next thing about Jesus. Every page, every page in the Old Testament cries out salvation unto the Lord. Trusting in God is easy. Sorry, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Trusting in God's easy when things are okay. But trusting in Jesus, that intimate relationship with God through him, and fulfilled by the Holy Spirit living in you. It only comes with that, it only comes when when we recognise that totally intimate relationship, that uniqueness that you have with Christ and that I have with Christ. We've not all got the same relationship. Just the same as all of us in here, we don't have the same relationship with each other. We've got a relationship that's common in the Holy Spirit and us being Christians. But your relationship with Christ is totally different from mine. It's not the same. It came the same way. We were all washed in the blood and born of the Spirit, but there's a uniqueness, there's a blend and a bonding. That's why it has to be a personal relationship. It's not just a blanket that the salvation is thrown over you and you're just, as I talked about, the chip gets put in and you're all robots. There's a a uniqueness to your relationship with Christ and it only develops as you allow it to develop. Allow the Spirit to move in your life. Don't be frightened yet. God will not take you to places where where it's frightening and horrible. He'll be with you all the way. He'll walk you through it. And Paul says in verse 14, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me. That's you know, telling them things that maybe they don't want to hear, but they need to hear. To be a minister... Because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This goes back to the start of chapter 12, this section here, where Paul is virtually saying that he's a minister of the gospel to the Gentiles, but it's a priestly, it's a priestly calling that he's got. And that means that he's able to offer the sacrifices and you are the living sacrifice. You are that which Paul is presenting to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. 
Paul didn't insult the Roman Christians' intelligence. He didn't tell them, well, you know nothing and here's what I'm telling you. He told them there that, you know, I know that you're full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. He told them that. And, you know, I like Paul, I'm reminding you of these things. I'm not insulting your intelligence. I know that many of you know these things. But I want to remind you, and it's not a bad thing to be reminded again and again, of who we are in Christ and who we should be and what we should be doing. It's not something that should be lost on us. I want to remind you to do these things, to to be walking in the Spirit and not to get caught up in the trivialities. Strengthen the weak Christian by loving them. Not by stumbling them and not by judging them. Because, you know, we're too ready to judge, we're too ready to stumble and yet Jesus himself said you know if you want to judge each other then go ahead and do it but remember judge by the standard that you wish to be judged and I said this last week don't take a big stick to your brother when all you want is a slap in the wrist for the same offence judge not lest you be judged and that's that's what he's talking about we make judgments every day in life. We make judgments about when you cross the road. We make judgments about who should we speak to, about what or how we should say the words. But these should all be prayerfully put forward in the Lord. We'll never get it all right. But if we, if we look for that inspiration of the Holy Spirit, then maybe we'll get it, some of it right. Strengthen the weak brother by loving them and praying with them and for them. It's all right saying to somebody, and it's great, and I don't, don't, please don't get me wrong in this. It's all right saying to somebody, I'll pray for you. That's great. But it's a different matter altogether when you're going to say, I'll pray with you. When you're prepared to sit down and put an arm around the shoulder and pray for a brother or sister, to encourage them, to build them up, to know that what you're doing is a sacrifice on your behalf. And it's an encouragement on their behalf. Not just praying for them, but praying with them. You know, in that situation you have to pray for me in some measure to be more accepting of the things that that I see that, that maybe I'm weak in. That I feel that people shouldn't be doing. The, 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 the things that I consider that they're weak in and yet it's probably me that's weak you have to pray for me you know I go, I go back to the cigarettes and the alcohol I've seen the carnage that these two habits create and I struggle with it I'm not your judge but I'm your prayer partner who loves you and doesn't want you to come to any undue harm that's how we should be with each other let your life be filled with the spirit don't go chasing after the things of the world because the bible quite clearly tells us that the pleasures of the world are pleasures indeed but they're only for a season one of these days these disputable habits these doubtful habits that we've got in our lives they'll catch up with you and they'll cause you real problems and I don't say that I don't have doubtful habits and disputable habits I do I like westerns and some people within the church would tell me that 
That's terrible. Watching cowboys shooting each other. But, you know, these are the kind of silly, we, we, we talk, I mean, we laugh at them. But there are these daft, disputable things that, that become a problem to people. And I don't want them to become a problem. Paul says, don't let them become a problem. Don't judge each other. Love your enemy. Love your brother and sister. Love your neighbour. And pray for them that no undue harm comes. And I want to quickly finish this. Therefore I glory, in verse 17, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. So that's Elycrium was a, it used to be modern day Yugoslavia which is now Serbia and Bosnia-Herzegovina and whatever else it was broken up into. But that was all the way around the whole Middle East. That was, that was where Paul had ministers. And Paul's story, Paul's testimony is not about how wonderful Paul was. You know, in all of these letters we see that he never once talks about his, about his suffering for Christ. And yet we, we saw earlier, if we read the book of Acts, if we read even in Romans or other, the other letters that he wrote, that he was beaten five times by the Jews because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was caned and whipped and left for dead. And yet he boasts what Christ has done through him, not about what he has done for Christ we too should be ready to boast in the humility of what God has done through us. I wonder if you've ever thought about why God has not done wonderful things through you. Have you ever th- I've often thought to myself, God, there's so much more that could maybe be done. And, you know, and when I think about it and I pray about it, it comes down to this. Because in some measure I choose not to let them do it. I get too frightened. Lord, I know what you're saying, Lord. I want to do that, but oh, that's scary, Lord. And God says, well, we'll put it aside. If you don't want to do it, I'm sure there'll be somebody else who wants to do it. But you see, God never loses his love for you because he can't or won't do these things. That's the grace of freedom God will allow you to do nothing. The grace of God will allow you to do nothing. You could sit there as a Christian until your death came and you would still be the acceptable one to Christ, a good and faithful servant. But you see, the rest of this life, it would be miserable and unfulfilled because you know that there's more that Christ would have you do and yet you choose not to let him do it. It's a horrible thing, free will, sometimes. God wants to do this, these wonderful things with you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to build you up. He wants to make you the Christian that he wants you to be. The potential that you have in you is unbelievable. The spirit that lives in you is the spirit that raised Jesus Christ for the dead. And there is so much that Jesus could do with you guys. Just let him. 
Open it up. Just let him do it. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Lift your eyes to Christ. In some measure, that's my job. This is the same as Paul's job was here. Preparing the people for the work of the ministry. To get them ready to go out and church plant. You ever thought about it? You ever thought that there's somewhere that they've never heard of Jesus? Maybe the fourth or something, you know? <laughs> or Douglas. You know, some of these heathen places. You know I'm only joking, guys, don't you? You know? <laughs> You want to take offence now, <laughs> but there are these places. I mean, when, when, when God called me to look to start this church, I had no idea what it was going to be like. I just knew it was going to succeed because God was in it. We started off with four people, and here we are now. When we look at the what, what God has done. All of us, counting the men, women and children, there's probably about 120 of us. And I claim no credit for it whatsoever. It is absolutely amazing what God has done. It is just wondrous. And I never, ever, ever thought that it would fail. There were times when I was ready to give up. In fact, there were many weeks when I resigned three times. Lord, I'm finished. This is over. I can't do this anymore. And yet, God was faithful to it and always brought that encouragement. And I suppose I could say that all, all I ever did, and I didn't do it consciously, was, Lord, use me and open myself up to that. And I know that many in here are doing that, and God will use you. Don't, don't think that God doesn't want to use you. God is desperate to use you. In whatever way, you let him do it. And I'm not going to go any further with this because it could, could stand up here for another two hours. But I know you've got other things to do. So that's, you know, Paul was a, was a pioneer. He took the work out to... He, he wasn't interested in building in somebody else's foundation, even although there's nothing wrong with that. He wanted to go to the places where people had never heard of Jesus. He wanted to be that first footfall that said, Jesus loves you and died for you. And maybe that's your call this morning. Or maybe there's a, a work going on somewhere that you'd love to support and you think, oh, I don't know whether I can do that or not. Let God move in you. Let God work in you. And I'm sure that as you do that, things will become clearer to you. And you'll really get built up in the Spirit of the Lord. And all of these things that Paul talks about, all of these doubtful, stupid things, will melt away and the glory of God will shine in you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you and praise you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your encouragement in our hearts. Build us up, Lord. Help us to do the work of the ministry, Lord. Help us to proclaim your gospel. But not just to do that, Lord. That might not be for everybody, Lord. But, Lord, just help us to open ourselves up to whatever you want us to do, Lord. Whether it's working with the kids in the Sunday school, whether it's going out in the streets and, and preaching the gospel out there, Lord. Whether it's just loving our enemies, Lord. Whether it's just helping our neighbours, Father. Help us to be a fellowship that is a light for you, Lord, in this place. That people look at us and see us with our differences and our, 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 the different ways that we do things, Lord. But still, we're united in Christ. Lord, in all these things we thank you. Bless us this day, Lord, and keep us in Jesus' name. Amen.